invite you to stand together as we hear the reading of God's Word. We have two passages this morning. The James chapter 2 text is the passage that we are actually reflecting on every Sunday in our current campaign of a series of messages. And then Matthew's Gospel, the 20th chapter, verses 25 through 26. We share in the reading of God's Word. In the same way, faith is dead when it doesn't result in faithful activity. Someone might claim, you have faith and I have action. But how can I see your faith apart from your actions? Instead, I'll show you my faith by putting it into practice in faithful action. One day Jesus' disciples, two of them, were arguing about who would have the seat of prominence, who would be able to uh, have others serving them in the kingdom that he was about to set up. And then this conversation ensued. Let's read together. But Jesus called them over and said, You know that those who rule the Gentiles show off their authority over them, and their high-ranking officials order them around. But that's not the way it will be with you. Whoever wants to be great among you will be your servant. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you. Please be seated. It's great to uh, welcome some uh, old friends back to be among us. Mike and Brent Fuller, uh, former very faithful members of the congregation here and uh, have since, um, are you all considered like snowbirds now? I don't know. You're living down there on the beach and... You're up here, but uh, we're glad that you're with us uh, today. Welcome. Good to see you. From time to time, uh, I, as well as I guess most every pastor, have been invited to do a funeral for someone in the community who didn't have a church uh, and therefore who didn't have or, or know a pastor. And when I'm meeting with a family to talk about the service, The conversation is very predictable in the way that it goes. Now, even though the the deceased was not a person who had an active faith, the family will say something like this. Daddy was not a religious person. Daddy, he didn't go to church. He didn't pray. He wasn't one to to feel the need to talk about his faith. But Daddy believed in God. And when they say that, I'm not so sure why they felt the need to tell me that. I don't know if it's because they wanted to present him in the best possible light, or it was a way of them overcoming some concern they might have about his salvation. I think if I were in their situation, I would probably want to do the same. Imagine you come to the end of your life, and the only thing that your family, the people who know you best, the only thing they can say about your relationship with God The only thing they can say about your spiritual life and your witness is that you believed in God. 
but they can't think of anything to say in terms of when, how, or if that belief made any impact at all in how you lived your life. Here's the truth about belief. It is a great starting point. It's a great starting point. But when belief in God is authentic, it always, it always results in life change. See, when when belief is authentic, it doesn't just settle into our brain and park there. It makes that 12-inch journey from our brain to our heart. It filters through our soul. It filters through everything about our lives so that it affects everything about us. And that's really the point of what we're trying to talk about and, and, and to understand in these series of messages entitled Beyond Belief. We're saying to those of us who, who believe, and I suspect that everybody in this room, I suspect, believes in God. But we're talking about and reminding ourselves of the importance of going beyond belief. And asking ourselves, sure, I believe, but does my life give any indication of how that belief is being lived out in any practical ways in the real world? And that's really what James is saying here in this second chapter when he says that faith is dead if it doesn't result in activity. And so we're spending five weeks together talking about what it means to move beyond belief. Last Sunday we, had, we started out and we identified that uh, you and I know that we have moved beyond mere belief when our lives are characterized by caring for other people. I mean, if, if belief in God is authentic and it is real, you don't stay the same. There is within you just a, and a heightened degree of caring for the people around you. It brings you out of your own personal shell, cocoon life, and causes you to really care about what's going on in the lives of people around you. This morning, we're going to focus on the second thing that is indicative of us when we move beyond belief, and that is that our lives are characterized by a sense of serving. Serving. Jesus understood something about human nature. He knew that people love to be served. It makes us feel important if people are serving us It maybe gives us a sense of empowerment. That's the way it existed in Jesus' day. It it still exists to this day. For example, if you go to to dinner tonight in one of uh, Noonan's finer restaurants, just a few minutes after you take your seat at the table, somebody's going to come up to you. They're usually dressed in black. Have you noticed that? They're going to come up to you and they're going to say, Hello, my name is... Stephen, and I'm going to be your server. Do you remember when we had waiters and waitresses? We don't have those anymore. We have servers. Now, why do you think that is? Is it because that business knows that its customers, we love there's just something about knowing that somebody's going to be serving us. We like that. It's that way for us. It was that way in Jesus' day. As a matter of fact, one day... 
Jesus, two of his disciples were discussing together one, one another about who was going to be the greatest and who was going to be a servant and who would be serving others and who would be serving them in the kingdom of God that Jesus was about to set up. And he sees this conversation going on, so Jesus calls him over. And he says something like this. Look, guys, you need to understand. The Gentiles, people out there in the world, they look at things this way. People who think they are really important like to order others around and have others serve them. But you need to understand, that's not the way it will be for you. You see, we're not like the rest of the world. For us, the way to be really important is to serve those around us so they'll know they are important. Now, I want you to think about some words that Jesus uses here because they're extremely important and they're establishing something that you and I need to understand about who we are. And it's these words. He says to them, that's not the way it will be with you. Now, Jesus is doing something really significant here. He's taking the existing way in which the world operates. And he's designing a completely different formula for us. He's acknowledging that in the world, the preference is for others to serve us. But Jesus is informing us that for us, it's the other way around. We are servants. We exist to serve others. See, that's not the way it will be for you. For you, it's going to be different. And the difference is, you are servants. And when he says, that's the way, not the way it will be with you, he's letting us know that because we follow him, we are given a whole new identity that sets us apart from the rest of the world, and our role is radically changed. We become servants. And in every situation in our lives, we are to take on the role of a servant. You see, the pattern of life for us that Jesus is establishing here is that being a servant is who we are. It's, it's our spiritual DNA. It's, it's why we exist. It's, it's why we get out of bed in the morning. It's why, do, why we go to work. It's why we go to school. It, it, it's, it's why we do everything that we do underneath it all is a desire to find a way to serve others. We exist to serve. The moment you are, become a follower of Jesus Christ, your identity changes, and you are a servant. So the question for us is, how well are we living up to our identity? 
Are we serving in our church? Are we serving in our community? Are we serving the poor? Are we serving uh, the forgotten? Are we serving our family? Are we serving in our school? (coughs) How well are we living up to our identity? Now, some some of us, we've, we've caught that. We understand that. We see ourselves as servants. I, you know, we could go on and on and on listing the names of, of people in this church who understand their role as a servant. I mean, uh, this church is here today because for, for decades since its inception, people who've loved God and who love His church have decided not just to, to be served, but to serve. And we have a lot of those in this church family today. A lot of us get that. But there's some in the church who've not yet realized their identity as servants. And and there's some in churches, not just here, but in any church in this town, who still function the way the world functions and who don't understand that for us, that's not the way that it will be. We see some of those folks in the church. There's some folks in church, for example, who love to be served, and so when they come into a sanctuary on Sunday morning, they put on a bib, and see, they, they want to be fed. They want others to serve them. So they put on this bib, and they say, they plop down in the pew, and they say, Preacher, feed me. They say to the choir, Choir, feed me. They expect everybody else to serve them. They expect to be fed, and when they aren't fed, when they don't believe they are being fed, they'll let you know. They will. Well, seems to me that the church would be way more effective. The church could accomplish amazing things for the kingdom of God, if more of us decided to take off a bib, oh, by the way, I've heard people say that if, if being fed was the purpose of the church, then instead of an altar up front, we ought to have a feeding trough. How about that? Church would be a whole lot better. Just imagine what the church would accomplish if those of us who insist on being fed took off that bib and decided that we're going to serve. And then when we walk in the doors of the church, we say, Lord, here I am. How can I serve you? How can I serve my community? How can I serve in school? How can I serve in the ministry of my church. How well are you living up to your identity? Some of you have heard me say this. I've been saying this all my ministry, and it kind of gets me in trouble because I think some people misunderstand it, but uh, it is a spiritual truth that when we understand it, and if we understand it, it radically transforms our lives and the churches that we're a part of. And it's this. 
many people would be surprised to know that this church does not exist to serve you and your needs. The truth is, you exist to serve the church and its needs. I mean, what is the church? The church is the representative of Jesus Christ in the world. The most important thing the world has going is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What could possibly be more important than you investing your life in serving the institution, not just the institution, the organization, the the ministry, the movement of Jesus Christ that we call his church? Nothing. You know, sometimes people get upset when they hear me say that, that the church does not exist for you and your needs. You exist for the church and its needs. And and the reason that rubs some people wrong is that they haven't yet understood that fundamental identity swap that Jesus established with those two disciples and that he establishes with us when he says, that's not the way it will be with you. Our identity is to be a servant. And oh, I pray. I give thanks for the saints of the church who've discovered that. And there are many of you here. I pray that more and more will come to discover that truth. I heard something the other day about Nick Walinda that surprised me. You know Nick Walinda. He's the uh, latest, most famous member of the Walinda family, and he has made, you know, he's become famous. He's a celebrity because he, he walks across the tightrope. He's a daredevil. And maybe you saw him this last year, I think. He walked across the Grand Canyon, walked between two skyscrapers up in New York City or maybe in Chicago. It's an amazing feat what he can do. But I discovered the other day that after those walks, he takes another walk that I think is way more impressive. You see, Nick Linda is an active, faithful follower of, of Jesus. And he understands his identity as a servant. So you know what he does? After one of those walks across the Grand Canyon, watched by millions of people around the world, When the crowds are gone, when the media have packed up their cameras and pulled out of the parking lot, he goes and walks where the crowd was in order to pick up trash. Here's why he says he does that. He says, my purpose is simply to help clean up after myself. The crowd leaves a great deal of trash behind and I feel compelled to pitch in I mean with all the attention that I get I need to keep myself grounded he said three hours of cleaning up debris is good for my soul as a follower of Jesus Christ I see him washing the feet of others I do this because if I don't serve others I'll be serving nothing but my ego. 
That's impressive. As followers of Jesus Christ, regardless of whatever else we might accomplish in our lives, at the core, let's never forget that we are servants. That is a key indicator that we truly know we've moved beyond belief That becomes the defining identity of how we see ourselves and how we choose to live.